Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. In this episode, the central point I will make is that the Bible is not silent when it comes to matters of justice. God describes himself when in Isaiah 61.8, he says, For I, the Lord, love justice. So our God is a God of justice. Furthermore, God's justice is not just heavenly, where it exists somewhere out there, up in the sky. God's justice is also very earthly, and he is intimately concerned with how people treat one another. In modernity, when people use the buzzword social justice, they tend to refer to fair and just relations between individuals and society. This tends to have an association with an equitable distribution of economic resources and socio-political privileges. Social justice is not synonymous with the gospel. Why? Because what the Bible says about social justice at its core has nothing to do with economics, politics, and legislation. When the Bible talks about justice, it begins with an individual's spiritual heart condition and their relationship with God. It is from that transformed, repentant heart that begets justice. In other words, when the Bible talks about fair and just relations between individuals and society, change begins on the inside and then moves outward. It does not talk about an external agent acting to compel behavior change. My main point is that repentance begets social justice. In what follows, I will further explain what this means, but allow me to set the stage for our focus in Luke chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. Luke 3, 1 to 9 tells us about the preaching of John the Baptist. He was the prophet who set the stage for Jesus. John's ministry was located by the River Jordan. There, he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In simple terms, repentance means turning away from sin and turning to God. So when the people heard John's words and earnestly responded to the message, they became conscious of their sinfulness and sought to do better. In other words, those who had genuine repentance on the inside would then yield genuine fruits of that repentance on the outside. That fruit involved godly behavioral change. John finishes his message in Luke 3.9, and immediately in the next verse, the people who responded to the message of repentance said, Then what shall we do? It's important to note that the question, what shall we do, is the same question asked by the people who heard the Apostle Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. John then answers the question, what shall we do, in simple and practical ways. In applying repentance, John makes one general statement and then makes specific applications to two unique groups, tax collectors and soldiers. First, John makes a general statement to the whole crowd. In verse 11, John says, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. What John is saying is that love must be worked out in terms of justice. Genuine repentance begets real spiritual fruit, and the most important spiritual fruit is love. Love is a purposeful act of the will that acts for the benefit of another. Therefore, John says for the person who has more material goods than he really needs, he should share with his neighbor who is lacking. Why does a person do this? Because of love. 
because a repentant heart realizes that God did not have to do anything for us, but he gave us everything out of love. He freely gave out of his abundance. Now we are free to love because God first loved us. We don't need a law or a pagan ruler to tell us what is just. Repentance turns us away from self-centeredness and toward God-centeredness. Thus, as a result of genuine repentance, we treat others with love, and that manifests as just relations between individuals and society. Repentance begets social justice. The next group that John speaks to are the tax collectors. In verses 12 to 13, the text says, And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. History tells us that in Christ's time, tax collectors were despised and hated a bunch of people. Why? Because any honest tax collector wasn't a successful tax collector. You see, the Romans auctioned off the right to collect taxes. The highest bidder won the contract. So, if a tax collector only collected what was owed to Rome, there would be no profit left. On top of that, other than searching a woman's person, tax collectors had the legal right to search any piece of your property to acquire funds. Resultantly, people abhor tax collectors, but John never tells them to stop being tax collectors. He tells them to start acting differently in their unique calling. He tells them that public revenues ought to be used for public service and ought not to be used for private benefit. John tells the tax collectors that their employment in and of itself is lawful and that they should simply act with honesty and justice in their profession. Why should they do any of these things? Repentance. A repentant tax collector would realize that God could have used his authority to oppress, but he didn't. He instead chose to deal with the world in grace. A repentant tax collector would therefore understand that how he acts in his profession is a testimony of God's grace and is a testimony to those who do not know the Lord. As a result, he acts in his profession with love toward others and that love manifests as just relations between individuals in society. Repentance begets social justice and collecting no more than what is due. The final group that John speaks to are the soldiers. In verses 14 to 15, the text says, Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. Bible scholars are not precisely sure what Luke meant when he wrote soldiers, but this group likely included non-Jews. So the question is, even for those who are not pious, what shall they do? John advises them not to abuse their power, not to extort, not to slander, not to lie, and to be content. Contentment is what keeps a hedge of protection around a person's desires. Contentment is what equips a person to distinguish between what is mine and what is thine. Contentment means you do not seek to have another tunic because you already have one. Discontentment is what fuels social injustice. Discontentment is what fuels one person to take from another in a futile attempt to solve their perceived efficiency. As Matthew Henry once wrote, quote, It is discontent with what they have that makes men oppressive. 
that they never think they have enough themselves will not scruple at the most irregular practices to make it more by defrauding others. They that indulge themselves in discontents expose themselves to many temptations, and it is wisdom to make the best of that which is. End quote. Contentment isn't something that a natural person can work up themselves. Contentment is preceded by repentance. As a person turns away from sin and turns to God, they are filled with spiritual contentment that is better than when grain and when new wine abound. As a result, a repentant soldier has no need to coerce anybody because he would be content. He acts in his profession with love toward others, and that love manifests as just relations between individuals in society. Repentance begets social justice. Beloved, we must understand that no human organization is inherently corrupt. This includes governments, corporations, armies, bureaucracies, even religious institutions, or any type of authority. What makes these institutions corrupt are the individuals who constitute it. It's the individuals who lack repentance and therefore feel at liberty to pursue a course of social injustice. In order to transform society or human organizations, we mustn't look at the collective. Rather, we must look at the individuals that constitute said collectives. What the Bible tells us, and what John specifically preached about in Luke 3, 10-14, is that God is intimately concerned with justice, but the way in which he prescribes to bring about justice is not by mobilization or by legislation. It's by regeneration. It is not changing the rules or trying to reform people from the outside. It is the word of God which radically transforms people on the inside. John preached a message that was simple and very practical. Truly, God's message has always been simple and practical, and the way in which Jesus forever changed the world is by preaching the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is what truly transforms hearts and minds. Those who respond to the gospel repent, and when repentant, transformed people step out into the world and they treat one another with love, dignity, and respect. Repentance begets social justice, so the prescription to change hearts is one simple message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.